Hello, everybody, and welcome to the State of Play podcast, episode 34. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me, as always, as Pet Barisha is uh, healing at the moment, we have Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you doing? How are you getting along uh, so far? Watching any TV shows? Did you start The Wire? I didn't start The Wire. I know we talked about that at the tail end of our oh, previous on. episode with Roberto. I watched a little bit of it. I've got to get around to it. There's, uh, Tiger King is the one I'm seeing on my timeline okay. quite a yeah, bit. So I think I'm going to jump into that uh, you know, over the next day or so. But um, yeah, I've been doing well. Gotta, if you guys haven't been following me on Twitter and what's been going on, I got a couple of new puppies. So I'm excited about that. They're keeping me occupied without any football, obviously consuming my weekends with the stoppage here. But uh, Martino, we have a special guest, another returning guest. Um, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, I wasn't here the last time you guys had him on. I came in in the fall for this, but we have Alex Goldberg of The Byline. It's his Patreon um, account. He's also the producer and co-host on the Couch Land podcast with David Amoyal, a huge Chelsea fan. I think he's become the full front fit. Like when I think of Chelsea now, and especially Americans, it's immediately Alex Goldberg. It just goes, it goes straight there. Your rise has been absolutely meteoric on Twitter. The amount of content that you put out, uh, the interaction you have is just fantastic. And we're so happy to have you on. How are you doing, first of all, handling everything that's uh, been going on over here? I appreciate the kind words, Martino. And it's certainly nice to be on with you again, Matt. How am I doing? I mean, similar to I think what Matt said with his two puppies, and that sounds amazing. I have a six-month-old, so that's another version of having a puppy. So that, you know, that's keeping me busy. Having a little one who isn't impacted at all by what's going on out in the world. Like, you know, I'm lucky where whatever I do professionally, I kind of do it from home mostly anyway. And then when you have a six-month-old, you self-isolate anyway. You stay mm-hmm. home and you live their world. So I'm lucky on that front. I'm not doing too bad. I'm a huge, huge sports fan, though. It goes way past just the football we talk about. So I'm missing that. I'm missing that. And I'm sure my wife would even say at this point, yeah, he's, he's probably more balanced and centered with sports in his life. <laughs> so uh, I'm coping as well as I can. But, but I am, you know, pretty lucky to have things not too negatively impacted for me with this situation. So definitely just thinking of others who are in a worse shape than I am. Yeah. So Alex, I just want to real quick before we get into the you know the deep dive of European football, Chelsea, we're gonna we're gonna cover quite a bit. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan. I know you're a Red Sox fan, but also you're a huge, huge Patriots fan uh, living in that area. So I just want to get your kind of thoughts on how you're taking the loss of Mookie Betts and Tom Brady within uh, a span of 35, 40 days. How is that feeling for you? That's cold, man. That's cold. Not- not well, Matt. And if I knew those questions were going to be asked, I probably would not have accepted the invite. Uh, but all, all jokes aside, I mean, li- listen, Mookie Betts, before I even get to Brady, Mookie, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Mm-hmm. And I've been very nerdy in my Red Sox fandom for a long time. Like, for the longest time, the Red Sox, this is actually kind of a parallel to Chelsea, if people know me. But for the longest time, the Red Sox were really good. And they would win championships or they, you know, even before they won in 04, They'd be a decent team, and it would be them or the Yankees. But they never used their youngsters. They never used their farm system. And, you know, to make a long story short, like, they would take a youngster here, maybe like a John Lester or Pedroia or an Ellsbury. But it was like, eh, bit by bit. And I always kind of wanted to see, like, the next guy. Like, who's the true next superstar I can look for? Like, I wanted to grab on to a player at a young, young age and kind of 
follow them through their career and really feel like, all right, like uh, not I have ownership, but really just feel like I was a true fan of that player. So there began a real nice crop of players. I was always on minorleaguebaseball.com checking box scores every day. And we're talking like not triple A, not double A, not high A. We're talking like rookie ball, low A. Like it got nerdy for me, always on <laughs> SoxProspects.com. And, you know, it was with Bogarts and it was with other players for sure. But Mookie Betts, you know, I'm proud to say or embarrassed to say, like low A, Greenville Drive, I'm checking his box scores. And I am kind of following the, following the rise of him. <laughs> you know, second baseman at the time. And by the time he got his major league debut, you know, I was so excited for that game. And, you know, I, I wrote it so many times on Twitter. My tweets are all gone and everything. But, like, I wrote so many times that it was a triple-A, this kid's going to be something special. And obvious – and I'm no scout. I'm dumb as well. But I just felt proud of that take. <laughs> and uh, he was just by far my favorite player uh, on the Sox and in the league. And really, like, he was up there in all sports for me complete player, complete professional, just a really likable guy. You know, kids loved him. He was the perfect player for a team to have in any sport, the perfect player. And uh, I'm mad at the Red Sox. I'm mad at the Red Sox not for trading him because they kind of, you know, I understand the trade. I'm mad at the Red Sox for putting themselves in that position where they had to trade him. So Mm -hmm. um, that's very depressing for me. And it's almost like, you know, I, I hate that coronavirus is happening. It's such a serious issue, but it's almost like appropriate that, this season's getting delayed because someone's telling me out there, just from a sports perspective, I'm sensitive to the real reason why, but it's almost like someone's telling me, no, you're not supposed to see the Red Sox without Mookie Betts. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, th- there's now a chance that maybe the ML, maybe the season gets canceled altogether. And the report was Mookie could totally still yep. just go free agency in 2020 can, yeah. or whatever. Imagine mm-hmm. if he never played a game for the Dodgers. He doesn't even have to come back here. I mean, I'd love that. But I just hate seeing him in a Dodgers <laughs> uniform. So that would be uh, – that would be good at least. But, yeah, that one hurts. And then, I mean, come on. I mean, how many words do I need to say about Tom Brady leaving? You know, that is – that that's A1 right there. You know, I was born in 89, Patriots fan since I, I could breathe, you know, really. So uh, Brady is, is the guy for me in any sport of all time. You know, I view him not as a person, as a god. And uh, it's just <laughs> going to be – it's just, uh, I, you know, the more I think about it, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like those weird moments. I know this sounds really extreme, but when you think about, like, death, like, what happens after death? Like, and then you get kind of, yeah. like, oh, I got, I got way too deep in that thought. Like, right now, when I, <laughs> when I even think about Brady and the Buccaneers or the Patriots without him and still seeing Belichick, I, I don't know. I, I can't even get into it. So, yeah, I think this is what happens, though, right? Like, you, you're, you can't be that great of a sports city and then not eventually be dealt two massive blows. But those are as big a blows as any city could ever take. I also think there's, I also think there's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to kind of, you know, work because on our previous episode with a a Liverpool fan, Maxi Angelo, he's a Liverpool fan. We talked about kind of the kind of connection between Fenway sports group and, you know, what they did with the Red Sox versus what they were able to uh, currently be building, excuse me, with Liverpool. And I always look at how fascinating uh, the, 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 the player movement and that sort of dynamic and how it comes into play, how it's changed, right? You have a guy like Mookie Betts, you mentioned uh, you hold in high regard a big, a big time fan of his, couple years with the team he wins he wins MVP and he's gone versus a guy like which kind of feels more like the the European football model right you just never assume a player is going to be a one club player Um, even no matter how good they are no matter how how much it makes sense to keep them and to retain them and to make them a one club player it just never seems to align that way and when you look at Tom Brady everyone thought 
there's no way he, he's he's the New England Patriots. Him and Belichick, that's and in Kraft, that's kind of the trio there. So to see that sort of switch, it's almost like you felt that Brady was like the Maldini, right? The one club guy, like you can't yeah. see him anywhere else. And like, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. You know, we always talk about football, and you know, every time we have the guests on, I mean, that's kind of what we run with. But it's always interesting to talk about you know the perspectives and try to um, draw parallels between mm-hmm. you know uh, different sports and ultimately see how they kind of mesh. But um, Martino, was there anything else you wanted to add before we kind of dive headfirst into our Chelsea? Hey, man, I'm a miserable Jets fan, so, like, I just got to <laughs> take this in stride. So, you know, like, I mean, I'm a Mets and Jets fan, so I don't I don't get much. And then, like, obviously with Milan now, like, I, I, I get nothing. So I just – I'm going to keep quiet. I can't talk trash. I, but I, I won't say I feel terribly sorry for Brady. <laughs> but But – Talking about transitions with eras, Chelsea's really going into this new era, right? And that's why we have you on here. And honestly, it's been such an impressive season. I know they've had rough stretches at times, but expectations going into the season for Chelsea. We know the transfer ban, bringing in Frank Lampard. This is the first. We know he had experience managing, but this is the first real big-time test for him. And I got to say, everything – Pressure-wise, I think there is a certain uh, there is a certain amount of pressure that Chelsea has in general because it's one of the bigger clubs in England and in the world. But to, but to have this in, they're they're riding a lot on Frank Lampard and the youngsters. What did you think so far prior to the season being uh, currently suspended? I mean, I thought I thought you couldn't be happier. I mean, making it to the knockout stage of the Champions League. I, I know there's things at times you get frustrated with, but. Tell me, what did you think so far of this this first year under Lampard and how Chelsea was transitioning with all these youngsters? Yeah, considering what my take was right before the season started when Lampard was appointed of, all right, I think they'll be somewhere between fourth and seventh, but I admitted so many times that fourth was probably the most unrealistic out of those spots. And that was just kind of like the peak I could see them going. So I really didn't think they'd be fourth. I really thought, well, they'll kind of be lucky to get a Europa League spot, but I knew why that was. They lost Eden Hazard, their best player, in my opinion, the best player in the Premier League, and they had a transfer ban, and so they couldn't replace them other than bringing in Pulisic, but, you know, that was never like for like in that sense. Just positionally it was. They could retain Kovacic, which turned out to be a great move, but at the time it was like, okay, that's keeping just a player that was – okay for you last season and really just going with what you have what you own and knowing all of that I was just like all right well this is this is a rebuilding year this is a year to start to build some type of foundation you see what you have in these young players who can hang who can't and then you'll probably have a decent amount of holes you'll you'll then need to fill the following summer so this upcoming summer so that and the fact that once again Lampard was in his second year as a manager at all, I, I you know was thinking I just need to see signs. I just need to see signs. So it wasn't a complete defeatist attitude, but it was really going into it expecting probably more pain than joy. I just <laughs> needed the I just needed the joy moments to be like something I could hold on to and feel like they could be built off in following years. So I would say that I've been, I haven't been like, I think to say pleasantly surprised is a reach because I've actually thought highly of all the youngsters and Lampard, mm-hmm. but I have been, I've been impressed that that would be the best way to put it. Like I've been impressed 
that even when the results have been not great, like there have been some bad results this season, especially to poor teams, Chelsea were hardly ever not in a game. So even in those Mm -hmm. most frustrating moments, I know some of my followers got sick of hearing this because maybe (laughs) they're just used to the elite Chelsea, but I would always not be too reactionary because I saw a decent product on the pitch. It was usually Chelsea having an issue at the extreme end. So creating chances but can't finish or actually protecting their keeper from a lot of shots on goal but having some individual defensive errors, some some brain farts on set pieces. So just some quick things that can make the result go against you. Or like you get scored on and then you get scored on again so you have a bad five minutes. But more or less like Chelsea have been in almost all the games this whole season. So I was impressed from that standpoint. And when you take into account all the injuries that have happened to Chelsea, just literally from the start, from before the start of the season, they they came into the season with injuries, some very significant ones, and they've just had continuous ones. And I know many teams can complain about injuries, absolutely. But it's more the style Chelsea have had injuries with. It's like you get one player back, two go down, and they're all over the pitch in different positions, especially in some attacking spots. So when you kind of take all that context in, and you realize, when you look at like more nitty-gritty stats, like XG, they're pretty good at. Chances created, they're pretty good at. They've had some good wins. You know, they beat Spurs twice. They had a great win over Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of take in all the context, what was going against them, now knowing that they are in fourth, and they've held fourth. I don't care if the Premier League has been not that impressive besides Liverpool. Like, there's been a lot of underwhelming seasons for many teams. Mm-hmm. They've held fourth for almost the whole season. So... Oh, yeah they've always been just good enough for that spot, no matter who else is quote unquote failing out there. So yeah, I think you got to remember what your initial take was. I think a lot of fans will run away from their initial take and they want to live two in the moment. And I think you need a balance. Like you, you definitely do need to look at what's happening last few games, whenever you analyze a team, but you also have to look at, well, what did I expect? What did I expect in the beginning? And I think, Many Chelsea fans would be lying if they said they expected something better than this, and most expected something worse. So I think, really, as a Chelsea fan, you should be pretty encouraged and pretty happy about what you've seen so far. I certainly am. I think with you know with Chelsea season overall, Alex, I think you did a you know, tremendous job of kind of chronicling the the expectations and essentially kind of putting a bow on what, what they've accomplished this year, which, in my opinion, has been uh, quite a bit. And I think you know you could look at it and kind of maybe flashback to the summer when, you know, Marito Sarri, fresh off of the Europa League title, he left after one year, he didn't have the transfer ban, um, and he didn't really kind of know what was going to happen, right? New manager, Frank Lampard, can he manage the expectations, the pressure of coaching his former club? All these sorts of things uh, can bring neg- negativity, right? Especially if you're a big club with big ambitions and you're just always naturally competing for the top honors but if you kind of look down the checklist and you look at assess what their objectives were coming into the season right Lampard's establishing himself as a as a, as a solid coach he's getting the confidence of his players he's showing the ability to mold young players which is a key thing I know you uh um you are heavily involved in your you uh you always kind of uh have your your that, that Mason Mount propaganda the Reese James propaganda on the timeline uh, steadfast, committed to it, but you start looking at the players they're able to essentially usher along, right? They're starting to change that perception that people have as a club that can maybe have a lot of young talent, but never really gives them the opportunity. And in many ways, you can look through the transfer ban and say, hey, well, you know, the transfer ban 
is served somewhat as a blessing in disguise because you have guys like Tammy Abraham producing, scoring uh, amongst the top uh, in, in the Premier League. You Mason Mount taking on a big role, Reese James, you know, Tamori. So you start to look at the, the pillars in place. And for a club like Chelsea, who has that financial clout and wherewithal to plug in in certain areas if necessary, the pillars are there. The pieces are starting to come in place. And now you can start growing, right? I think in many ways, you know, this is what I see, what I saw from um, Chelsea this year. It's kind of what is something I wanted to see from Milan, right? You touched on, you know, you just wanted to see the progress. You wanted to see some sort of progression with the club and the project. And, you know, look, if you can make a top four finish, you get back into the Champions League. Another, a lot of those younger players have years under their belt now. And then you throw in uh, some good true, true signings in the summer window, you know, Chelsea can be building something really special here. So I think overall, if you're a Chelsea fan, um, you have to be quite pleased with how the season has gone so far. Totally. Yeah, uh, really well said. I mean, you know, the youngsters are, are the main reason why you're obviously excited because at every point, at some point in the season, every youngster has shown you something, not just at, in a flash, but shown you something that you can really hold on to and feel good about. And that's obviously the foundation. And obviously uh, the last taste we got was Billy Gilmore all of a sudden oh, yeah. setting the, for mm-hmm. just two games, but setting England on fire. So uh, a player you didn't even think would necessarily be in the picture because maybe of the numbers you originally had in Jorginho and Conte and Kovacic and Mount. And I think maybe you thought Loftus-Cheek could have come back sooner or Barkley. Like he, the one player you weren't counting was Gilmore. And even he has come in and now made you think that, wow, like he's a first teamer. And I know for a fact, like he's not going on loan anymore. Like he's now a first teamer as well. So yeah, it's just, it's just quite the foundation they have built. And just like, you know, on the transfer ban, I think Chelsea almost forced their hand into having the youth have to play. So obviously they didn't want to get a transfer ban in the first place. They didn't want to commit an infraction and then be punished. Mm -hmm. But people kind of misremember some do is they appealed the ban but they didn't request for it to be frozen. And they also chose a manager that compared to other managers would be more than happy, not more than happy, but would be definitely willing to work with the youth, maybe compared to others. So they kind of thought to themselves, well, if we're going to get a ban here, regardless, like even if it's going to go to one window, like even if we can get it reduced and they eventually did, maybe it does make sense to take it now, not a request for it to be frozen, get it over with, take it on the chin, have all these players be here for preseason and then just go into the season. That gives them the best chance. Now's the time. A lot of these players would be knocking on the door anyway, even if we had a transfer window. And maybe if we had a transfer window, we would send them all off in the wrong place or something like that. So I think I think Chelsea finally realized, like, you know what? Maybe now it's going the complete other way. Like we're going from one extreme to the other. We're not really using youth and now using a lot. But this could this could really be the right move. And also financially, I think that's a, a really important part is like not only do their own players not cost anything, like there's no amortization. So they're not paying like a yearly fee because they didn't buy them. But really, I mean, that they can save the club so many millions and millions of pounds, euros, what have you. Because now, hopefully, they can build the team by going after big players. They don't, you know, if you include a Mount and a Reese James and an Abraham and it's Maury, whether as long as they can be squad players, 
they make the need for a Michi Batshuayi, a Marcos Alonso, a Giroud, a Drinkwater, a Bakayoko, much, much less. It really creates a, a better um, team structure where you can then save money because you don't have to pay extra fees on your own and you can hopefully then go out and get the big guys. So yeah, I think they just had to. So like I kind of said, in now a long-winded way, I feel like they almost forced their own hand to finally use the youth. So with all the youth that has been used, and it's been well-documented that a bunch of them have been contributing, some at the same time, some more than others, you know, like Tammy Abraham was more hot, and then other guys, maybe like Reese James, wasn't getting the playing time at the same time. But you know what I mean? Like they've been kind of stepping up at different periods throughout the season. Which one to you kind of caught your eye as in you were the most impressed by? Because for me, I think Tammy Abraham might be up there because a lot of people um, really tempered their expectations on him. And I saw a lot of negative comments towards him and and his play style and his potential heading into the season. And I kind of scratched my head on it because – Despite all those comments, he was producing regularly, and that's a lot of pressure to do something like that, and especially at a club like Chelsea. Yeah, if you're going to word it impressed by, I think Tammy would be my selection there. Tammy or Tamori, Tammy or Tamori, if it's if it's worded as impressed by, because I rated both. I mean, Tamori was great at Derby, and Tammy obviously was prolific at Aston Villa and at Bristol City when he was there uh, a few years ago. And I was certainly an advocate, advocator of Tammy getting a chance this season. But I said more as a backup, like give him that chance mm-hmm. and then let's see if he can earn it. I didn't necessarily know that he could win it right away. And some of that was due to Michi just being on his own planet and Giroud not really stylistically being what Lampard wanted initially. So Tammy had a lot of opportunity, I guess, to earn it. But nonetheless, like I just didn't think he'd be able to hit the ground running like the way he did. And I think what impressed me most about Tammy was he had kind of this tag, a good tag, but like this tag of, well, he's a poacher. Like he's not necessarily the sexiest player, but he'll just find you a goal. He'll be able to just score, score, score. And all of his professional goals in his two seasons in the championship and then his loan at Swansea in the Premier League, they were all scored in the box. And, you know, if you look at Tammy, you could also think like, he's tall and lanky, so he's probably not that coordinated. He re- and I knew that wasn't true, but he, he impressed me and proved me wrong even more so because, A, he broke that in-the-box streak, like he scored outside of the box. And some of his goals were really nice, where he needed good footwork. He scored goals in a variety of ways. None of his 13 goals were pens. So, like, those were 13 quality goals. Maybe not all of them were glossos, but they were 13 goals where I was like, okay, like, that's something. And... One of his big moments was scoring against Arsenal, so against the top six team. Well, not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, scoring a very important goal that won the game. And he showed good, he showed good hold-up play, so he wasn't just this guy who, who could score. Like He looked like a player that even when he didn't score, he was benefiting the team to be out there. And yeah, his last month was a, a little bit rougher, went on a dry spell, but he also was injured, so I, I really have to take that into account. So. He was really a very important player for Chelsea this season, and they would not be fourth without his play. So I would say him, but I have to give Tamori a quick shout-out because even though the second half of his season has been more non-existent, and I think that has less to do with his quality. Uh, it's more to do with like team balance, team dynamic. Rudiger came back. I think Lampard felt a little 
obliged to play a senior player like Rudiger with so much youth being played elsewhere. But nonetheless, like it can't take away from the great start Tamori had to the season. I think a lot of Chelsea fans now forget that Tamori for the first half of the season was right there with Tammy in terms of performance and Mount when Mount started off well. And Tamori really like had one of his best games. It was a loss, but against Salah, and he really had some games where he just looked phenomenal. So I, he did suffer at times from making – luckily the team didn't suffer too badly, but from making some stupid passes, which his father even told me on my podcast, was just kind of lapses, not like he's checked out, but just kind of a, a youth thing where he'll, he'll learn from that. But um, I didn't necessarily think he'd be able to come in and look like a legitimate Premier League defender that you would want to see more and more and more of. So I would say a little bit of a tie between Tammy and Tamori, but just based on Tammy's stats, I'll say Tammy impressed me the most. Alex, so I know we were going to, you know, kind of dive in a little bit more on Mason Mount. I'm surprised you didn't mention him there as much. I know you're a big, uh, big Mason Mount guy, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that later in the, in the episode. I want to talk a little bit about Christian Pulisic. Now, of course, obviously he made that big move um, last January uh, for 57.6 million pounds from Borussia Dortmund. He's not a Chelsea product by any stretch. Um, but overall, what you, what have you seen from him? Uh, this entire season, besides numbers, right? I think, you know, if, if, if you want to go and talk about numbers, the numbers are pretty solid given he's been um, kind of starting games on the bench sometimes, coming off the bench. Uh, you know, these five goals, two assists. I know he had a little stretch there where he was scoring some big goals for Chelsea that were deciding games. But overall, what is your perception and your overall feeling of the Pulisic transfer right now? It's a lot of money. Obviously, it's an American, so we know there's a lot of uh, attention from it from, from our neck of the woods here in the States. But what's, what has been your, I guess, overall feeling about his first full season at Chelsea so far? Do you see more of the same in terms of being a, just a key player and cementing a first-team role? Or do you feel like he still has a lot more to prove in order to, to hammer that down? Not a first-team role, but, you know, starting role, shall I say. Right. Yeah, I think all in all, he impressed. I think if you, if you had to choose one or the other, impressed or didn't impress, you would have to say impressed. because. Some people, and I'll admit, I was a little reserved on the move. Some people, you know, they rated him quite highly. So there might have been a lot of expectations coming into the season. But nonetheless, I think everybody had to look at the context of, all right, he still is very young. Like, he's younger than, I think, yeah, he is younger than Tammy, just by a little bit. So you have to remember, just because you've known of him for a long time, because he's been in Germany for a while, he's still young, made a big money move to a big club who just lost Azard. So no matter what, there is going to be some type of pressure from that sense. English media is crazy. You're coming to a team with not much of a senior backbone. It's really heavily based on youth. So a lot of things could have been working against them. I think Lampard protected him in the very beginning. Didn't play him a lot in the first few weeks, maybe first month or so. And I think that was more mental protection with everything else that Pulisic would have had to deal with if he was thrown right into it, played 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, didn't play well. You would have seen headlines in America, in England, in Germany, everywhere saying Chelsea flop. So right away. So I think Lampard deserves credit there. But then once Pulisic started to play more, it looked good. It looked good. You know, there were moments, I, I cringe in even using comparisons like this. There were moments where when he turned with the ball, it was like, wow, I look like Azar. Now, obviously that's a, massive leap in terms of the player I'm saying but he showed flashes of yeah his, his 
dynamism on the ball. It'll play in the Premier League. You know, you, you always have to have questions when someone comes from the Bundesliga to the Premier League. It, will it work? Will it translate? Looks like it could translate. I thought he actually looked more confident in front of goal making decisions than I thought he would. That was certainly a question mark that people had on him. How would his output be? Sure, three of his five Premier League goals were scored in one game, but it was a perfect tactic, actually. And still, just overall, he looked more confident with his decision-making in the final third. And I thought, most importantly, he had good games, but he didn't score an assist. I thought he was positive and he was dangerous in many games that he was out there. And he really could have built off of that if he hadn't got injured. So, yeah, I don't think he necessarily had a perfect season. Like, I'd like to see him almost have more of an ego when on the ball. I'd like to see him pop it from a little bit more further back. I, I think he's a little bit reserved in the situations he'll shoot on. But I thought he was dangerous when he played, and certainly it was very encouraging. Literally, my only reservation about Pulisic now is injuries. If you look, it's a, it's a sneaky thing, but if you look at his time in Germany, he had injuries like every season here and there. Never huge, huge ones, but something always popped up. Something popped up this season, abductor injury, which Lampard said they're sneaky. You know, you think you're going to be out for just a little while, and they just kind of linger, linger, and linger. So maybe that's not all to do with Pulisic. But I feel like Pulisic can almost be as good as he wants to be, but he's got to be fit. He is the kind of the profile of a player who should be fit a lot. He's one of those players that's lower to the ground, low center of gravity. He should kind of have that balanced look to him that a Willian and an Hazard have. And, and those players are – I know Hazard's been injured this year, but over the course of their career, like Willian and Hazard are almost the model for durability. Like they never miss games normally. And maybe, you know, when I look at Pulisic, who's like the same height, the same type of a winger and everything, I would think, well, all right, come on, where's your durability? So maybe it's just youth. Maybe he's just going through some things. But if he can be fit and stay out there, he should always be challenging to be a starter for Chelsea, even if Chelsea do have ambition of getting even more talented wingers and attackers because Pulisic's got a lot of talent. And I think like I said, to kind of summarize this, if you had to pick one or the other and not really dive into it the way I just did, and you had to pick impressed or not impressed, you have to pick impressed. That's great to hear, especially for a lot of Americans over here that are kind of like out of the loop in terms of like the English media and then not really getting a chance to watch all the Chelsea games. It's always encouraging because this is by far the most talented American that we've ever seen. I truly don't think it's close. Um, so it's great to see him making progress at a, at a massive club like Chelsea, and, and it's great to see. So we talk, I talked about Reese James earlier and then prior to us recording. Um, you're a big fan of him, obviously. Uh, some might even say you're Mookie Betts for Chelsea. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, he's been so damn impressive, and <clears throat> I think the ceiling is really, really high for him. And that's, and that's just me. I, I'm obviously – I don't follow Chelsea as closely as you do. I, I would never say that. But in your opinion, we, I, I know we say impressed. I think that's, that's something that doesn't even need to be said at this point. But in terms of just overall ceiling for him, can, can, he, can he rival legacy-wise for a fullback? Does he, is like the ceiling to be up there but maybe an Ashley Cole one day in terms of just the best Chelsea teams once they're finally back to like their Champions League winning ways? Um, and at the top, like one of the top five clubs in Europe, do you see Reese James like being the face, one of the faces of Chelsea uh, with his potential? No question. No question. I mean, I can't, I literally can't say 
even being objectively, I really can't say anything negative about the guy. And I, I totally think, you know, we've got a long way to go. Ashley Cole, in my opinion, is the greatest left back in Premier League history. And I'm not really even being biased saying that. I just totally No, that's, a, that's that. totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, even when you mention names like Ashley Cole or importance of Lampard, Drogba, Terry, it can seem like a leap to many. But in terms of projecting, I can absolutely project him. Doesn't mean I'm guaranteeing it, but I can project him to be that quality of player. I mean, I've said it before. Sure, he's a youngster, but he's a complete footballer in terms of what he has. And you can put him anywhere on the pitch, by the way. Like, obviously, there are better spots than others, maybe based on how the rest of the league plays, styles of wingers, strikers. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be smart to put him at striker, but you could put him in the midfield and he could be one of your best players. You could put him at center back and maybe he's like an inch or two. He's not even an inch or two short for it, actually, when I think about other center backs. He, he could be a good center back. Like, so you can put him anywhere, but if we're profiling him at right back, I mean, he has absolutely everything. And first of all, I think why I rate him so immensely highly and why I'm not bashful to say these things publicly on Twitter to a decent amount of followers is I know that this stuff means nothing to Reese. Like, he absolutely appreciates the support, totally. But he has one of the most mature mentalities and mindsets that I have ever witnessed in any sport. Like, you, you could gas him up to his face, and he'll just be like, thank you. And he'll just move on. And it just doesn't get to him. His quotes on, you know, getting praised on social media, he just says, I say thank you, and then I focus on the game. Like, it's just, you know, and, and he means it. Like, that's how he thinks. And now I've spoken to his father twice on the podcast. Um, his father had him play every position, literally every position when he was young, just so he could understand football entirely and just understand everything that football is about. So you never feel – so, like, already in a Chelsea shirt, even with senior players around him, you literally never feel like – you can't have confidence in Reese. You're most confident in Reese and maybe in another player or two. And so, like, specifically game-wise, he's got an outrageous delivery. Like, an outrageous delivery. And it'd be talked about more if Alexander-Arnold wasn't already setting the world on fire with outrageous deliveries himself. But when you look at Reese James's delivery, it's phenomenal. Like, it's, it's 10 out of 10. He can hit them in a variety of ways. It's maddening uh, all the chances that have been missed this season already with Reese James delivering it. And I know Tammy blames himself a lot. He's got to improve his heading. Weirdly enough, he's a tall guy, but not great in the air. Uh, weirdly enough, he's been great at poaching in his career, Tammy, and he was not good at poaching this season. So you would have seen a lot more assists from Reese already. In somewhat limited time, Michi just failed him time after time. But uh, he's just such a weapon. Right when he got in the side, he was Lampard's number one weapon in terms of just give it to the right side and swing in balls. And some of that was because they were so injured they didn't have anything else, but it also means he's just that good. He's an absolute powerhouse physically. I mean, he is just an absolute brick, but he's athletic. Uh, great quote. I had Anthony Robinson on, who's a left back for Wigan now. And uh, when Reese was his teammate for Wigan, they played a friendly against Zenit, and Reese shoved Hulk off the ball. So, I mean, like, Reese is an absolute brick. But like I said, he's athletic. He can still get up and down. Like he's not an absolute speed demon, but he's not a liability from that sense. He can cut in as a right back, which I think is very, very rare. So if your winger wants to go wide, Reese can cut in, which is just 
you don't find even a lot of good right backs were able to do that. So he's really good with spacing there. So he just, he really has it all from a playing perspective and the mentality side just makes you believe that he's only going to get better and better and better and no accolade, no hype gets to him, which is just, I mean, that's, that's pretty rare. So, yeah, I mean, I just think he can be as good as he wants to be. And, and if Chelsea have ambition to sign high world-class players, and I hope they do, Reese can still be the best player every season. That's just how good he is. Maybe there'll be players equal, hopefully, but really the way you project him, he should be at least a 1A, 1B, 1C every season for Chelsea. I just think the absolute world of him. You know, I think with Reese James too, it's uh, you know, it's 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 also it's very refreshing and, and exciting to have your club acquire like a big name player, right? Obviously, we talked about Pulisic. You know, it's it's exciting to spend big on a player that's in demand and highly sought after and highly rated. But there's something to be said about you know, having your own come through the system and finally put on pull on that shirt and then become an actual like real big time player for them with Reese James. But I want to transition a little bit over to Mason Mount right now. Obviously we've had you on as a guest for the second time. So it wouldn't be uh, appropriate to leave out Mason Mount, right? I know it's not Monday, but Mason Mount Monday was something that you kind of drove home uh, at every chance you could on Twitter. Um, we had you on, I think for episode eight or nine back in late 2018 uh, to talk about Mount. Obviously he didn't have uh, the same role cemented with Chelsea. I, when, most people who follow Chelsea in their youth products knew he there was something special about him. Eventually, he was going to get that opportunity. Um, so essentially, about a year, year and change on from that, that, that profile we did, and essentially where he was then, take us through Mason Mount's journey, his progression, and overall, in many ways, like you've seen with Reese James, how you envision him going forward to be a pillar for Chelsea. Yeah, I think it's important to note when you asked me who I was most impressed by, I took the word impressed very seriously. So impressed, I, I view as a little surprised by. So that's why I certainly did not say Reese, but it's also why I did not say Mount. So Mount, by all accounts, and I'll answer your question, but by all accounts, I think Mason Mount had a good season. I think you can absolutely argue he was a top five player for Chelsea. I think you can absolutely argue that he was a top three player for Chelsea. And I could even make the argument, not that he was the best player for Chelsea. That was Kovacic. That was Kovacic, hands down. But I could argue he was the most important player for Chelsea. And I'll get to that in this little spiel on Mount. So, yeah, I mean, Mount tore up Vitesse. You know, they didn't play for the first half of the season when he went on loan first from Chelsea to Vitesse. Just kind of eased into things and uh, was still quite young. And then once he started playing, he tore up the league. Same league that Ziyech, DeLick, De Jong all those guys playing and they certainly not playing now, but played in, tore it up. And you saw, wow. Okay. So he's not just good in the Academy. He's good elsewhere. Then went to Derby. Some question that move because they felt like he actually could have moved to a better league, but he obviously moved to play for Lampard. <laughs> Boy, did that work out and just started the season off. Great for Derby. Started scoring goals right away. Uh, getting some assists here and there was immediately one of Darby's most important players. Then he, he injured his ankle a bit, uh, so he was out for some time. Had a little bit of a lull statistically, but actually, even when he was playing, he learned how to be a little bit more proper of a midfielder. Started playing a little bit less of the 10 and a little bit more of the 8. Definitely became more physical. I think learned the other side of his game, kind of the gritty side, the pure midfielder side of his game. And Darby really struggled while he was out for it was like six or eight weeks with an ankle injury. And then he came back, scored a hat-trick. Ashley Cole actually assisted him on 
his hat trick goal, which was awesome to see. Uh, just a, a legend of the past, assisting Mount for a hat trick. So immediately made Darby better once he came back. Was pretty crucial in their run all the way to the playoff final. Obviously, they fell short for promotion, but by all accounts, took another step in his development. So great academy career, great loan at the test, very good loan at Darby. And then, you know, I don't know what would have happened if Sari stayed and there was no transfer ban. I still think Mount would have had a look. Just depends on who they would have brought in. I certainly would have been screaming from the rooftops on my own Twitter account for him to still get the look. And from what I heard, it certainly was going to be a possibility. I think preseason would have been a big moment for him. But, you know, when you knew Lampard was taking over, you knew Mount was staying, no doubt about it. So I, even going into the season, you know, it's important to remember takes. I didn't think Mount would necessarily be so important right away because I thought Lampard would have to play the senior card a little bit more. And I thought, all right, Conte, Jorginho, Kovacic, and then – you know, even though Barkley is really not a big player for Chelsea, I feel like Barkley will, will get the nod. He had a good preseason, which he's normally known for. So did Mount, though. So that actually helped Mount. But, like, all right, I thought Mount will have to start off from the bench and he'll have to kind of earn his, his stripes there, even if it is Lampard. But Lampard went with someone he knows in Mount. And that proved to be a very good move on Lampard's part because this season, I would say Mount was a classic youngster. He had peaks and valleys if you look at his performances. But in a weird way, even though he was inconsistent at times, which really is quite normal for a youngster, he was very consistent. And what I mean by that is he led Chelsea in appearances. So Chelsea had all these injuries this season. He led them in games played in the Premier League. And by the way, twice he injured his ankle pretty severely, had to come out of the game and still played the next one. So he showed in, in very, very impressive toughness, mental toughness as well. I know Matt probably knows that saying from Tom Brady, mental toughness, always would say it in press conferences. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing that stands out to me about Mount, yeah, like he's now at six goals, four assists, which is not bad and really should have more in both categories. Um, but I, I know you can kind of make that argument for every player, but six goals, four assists, first season for Chelsea, not bad at all. But I think his plague was even better than that. He was an insanely impressive presser. So the people who don't like him will just say he runs around like a headless chicken, which is just – it shows me that some people are just on Twitter for the wrong reasons or maybe they just don't understand football enough. He is insanely intelligent in how to press, how to close down passing lanes. And so he was so important to Lampard in that regard. Lampard wants a high-energy team. He wants, some, uh, he wants a team that never has the opposition feeling comfortable on the ball. So literally, you know, as much as Willian and Pedro have gotten credit for their work rate these past few seasons or their whole time at Chelsea, it was always Mount leading the press, kind of telling them the angles to press down, close down on, which is another reason why he was just played so much. So he did so much that was just beyond six goals and four assists. And then what was the most impressive part was how many positions he was asked to play. So we could ask Mount what his favorite position is. He'll probably just say being on the pitch. He's just that type of a player. So you could argue the eight or the 10. But this season he played certainly the eight. So on the left-hand side, a little bit on the right-hand side, like a right center mid, but I'm not sure he ever got a true start there. But certainly started at kind of a left center mid. Definitely started at the 10 position. Started at least one game at a true left wing position and came off the bench at a left wing position in the Super Cup against Liverpool and ran Alexander-Arnold up and down the pitch. I know Alexander-Arnold's actually not a great defender, but still, 
mount at a pure left wing position looked phenomenal there. So I think he impressed people with his athleticism. Then played an inverted left wing position against Spurs. Then played a right uh, inverted wing position against Spurs. Had a great game there. So it was how and a second striker kind of a lot of the time. So it was how many different positions at 20 and then 21 years old in his first season in the Premier League he could play and make an impact at. And no other player within Chelsea's team was even asked to do nearly as much positionally or responsibility-wise. So that's actually where he even started to gain respect from some of his doubters, is they, they had to just finally look and like, well, yeah, he was asked to do a crap load. He performed in some big games for us, like both times against Spurs, performed against United, even though it was a loss. Like he definitely stood up against some of the bigger teams. And he just was asked to do a crap load, had so much on his plate, and really ended the season strong as well. So, yeah, how I see the future with him, I mean, <laughs> he's just going to get better and better and better. Very similar to Reese James. Like, really, the outside noise just doesn't affect Mason Mount. No one's ever going to tell Mason Mount to work harder. He's just that type that's just going to work, 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 work. And he's just never happy. He's never satisfied. So, really, when you have that attitude, it really is kind of sky is the limit to a certain extent how good you can be. So, you know, I just see him getting better technically. I see him getting better comfortability wise in terms of feeling more ownership. Like, yeah, I'm a Premier League player. And most importantly, I see him getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because he means a lot to Lampard. And I think fans are realizing it's not favoritism. He means a lot to Lampard for the correct reasons. He can be trusted in a wide variety of ways. So it's one of those players it's great to have because if you have injuries, he can slot in in so many places. And he's more than just a utility guy, though, because even if he didn't have injuries, I think he still slots in as a starter. So I just see him as being a very important player for Chelsea for many different reasons. And also, he's, he's somebody that could grow into a quiet leader, a quiet leader, not like a boisterous shouting at leader, but he's very well liked. He's very smart. So he's certainly part of that core, along with Reese, who's kind of quiet, reserved off the pitch, but a leader on the pitch. He's important from that sense, from a mentality sense. And from if they're building something with these young players, he's going to be right in the middle of it, Mason Mount. So, yeah, it was a really um, good step for him again. So in his career, I've seen nothing but progression, and I feel really good about where we left off. You know, for Mount to have six goals and four assists, I mean, for a player who still is very young, to your point, has been playing everywhere Lampard has asked him to. I mean, if you can project the player to have to be a double-digit double digit goal and assist guy, there's not many of those in Europe to begin with. So right. for him to be kind of projecting in that direction um, is, is very promising and I'm sure very exciting for you as a Chelsea fan and many other uh, fans who do follow the club. But um, you know, we talked yeah, about a lot actually, of these. Not to cut you off, Matt, but yeah. one thing I didn't include is six goals and four assists. Like, that's good. And like I said, it probably could have been better. But who was he playing with? And I don't mean to totally mm -hmm. discredit the players around him, but besides Tammy when he was in form, like he was playing with an old William, an old Pedro, sure, Pulisic at a, at a point in time, Hudson Adoy for a little bit, but he was not playing with the type of players you would normally associate with Chelsea Football Club. Mm -hmm. So you add Hakeem Ziyech next season, you add hopefully Pulisic healthy and feeling more confident, you add a more fit Callum Hudson Adoy. Hopefully you had a couple acquisitions. I won't name any names right now, but you start to build, or maybe even Loftus-Cheek, you start to build a team that Chelsea should have just based on their reputation. Mount is exactly the type of player that's going to make lemonade out of that. Like, he's going to capitalize off of that. So 
Six goals and four assists with really a below average Chelsea team standards wise. He's yeah, Mounts. He's kind of become, it could become like a Swiss Army type uh, asset for Lampard yeah. in the sense that you need those guys too, right? You know, it's one thing to have you know players who are kind of cemented in their certain roles, but if you can have a guy who can you can just deploy anywhere on the field and for the most part still get that same grade of performance week in and week out and do it against big clubs as you mentioned, uh, that that's even much of a bigger bonus. But you know, we talked about a lot of the the younger players that Chelsea currently have and who we can at least you know, forecast as being key members of their, their project moving forward. You mentioned Hakeem Ziyech, who's on his way in the summer. Um, there's obviously been rumblings about Jonathan Sancho. We're not going to get too much into you giving us names because at this point, we don't even know when the season is going to resume, if it will at any point. Number one. Number two, Laquipe is even saying that they FIFA could possibly entertain the idea of extending the summer window to December, depending on when the season does restart. So if you looked at Chelsea's season thus far, the squad they currently have, um, where do you feel they what, – what would your summer checklist look like? I, I know Boga has been a hot, hot topic and a hot commodity to talk about because he is uh, a former player there. He's been uh, balling at Sassuolo. Me and Martino follow him quite a bit. I know you do as well because you're very well-versed. But when you look at Boga and you look at some of the other names that are kind of you know, floating around there, where, what do you see – Chelsea's checklist looking like even if you had to give me like two to three spots where you're saying hey they need a striker they need this they need that where do you see them going in the next window when it does open yeah so I mean looking at transfers is really the only thing we can kind of sink our teeth into especially compared to actual football being played so you know Sancho's the guy he is the prize he is if I could only just pick one player for Chelsea to sign this summer it was somewhat realistic I would say Jaden Stancho no doubt about it I mean I would even say even though I think you need to plug a lot of holes potentially not like a lot of holes holes but you need to get a handful of players logically I would even say I would take one acquisition just get one acquisition if it's Jaden Stancho overdoing other things and a handful of them that's how much I want the player I want the player for two reasons a, I think he's world-class, and he's going to be an absolute superstar, like just a can't-miss player. I also want him because I don't want him going to Manchester United. So I view it as a double positive uh, win-win if he comes to Chelsea because you're keeping away from United or whoever else he could go to, and a double negative because then you're losing out on him, and he could very well hurt you for the next 10 years. So that's important to me. Also, I mean, his friendship with a bunch of Chelsea's players, Hudson Adoy, et cetera, fact he looked up to Lampard apparently was a Chelsea fan growing up it's like okay so there's a little bit of a bone here like there's a little bit of a connection and and you're not going to capitalize off of that I think that would be dumb so I think you obviously have to sniff around so he's the guy I mean he's the guy and it'll hurt if if he goes to Manchester United I think right now it's kind of split down the middle I know you'll see reports saying like oh United think they have him it's very premature I can tell you that he doesn't even know where he's going so it that's going to be it already has been a ridiculous thing on twitter i imagine the sweepstakes for him are only going to get crazier i think coronavirus threw a few things up in the air i think dortmund could have been waiting for like the euros to happen this summer to actually sell they made Very the bidding point. bigger you know so i think dortmund were in no rush so like they probably were not going to make any deal before the euros started and really we're going to assume he would tear it up in the euros and then the bidding war could even expand to more teams so I don't know 
what's now going to happen or how coronavirus impacts the Sancho situation. But if he is moving this summer, I think Chelsea United have the two best shots right now. So I don't give a damn who else you have. I like Pulisic. I love Hudson-Odoi. You still get Sancho because in any sport, if you have an opportunity to buy the best players, you do it. They're the ones that really win you the championship. Sure, role players do as well, but you would just be stupid to say, well, uh, we have a chance at him, but we'll pass. We'll go fill other holes logically. No, 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 no. That will come back to bite you. So getting off him, since he's obviously just my number one, you know, I, I just want a left back. I just want a left back. I want a real left back. <laughs> so you don't like Marcos Alonso is what you're saying. Well, I mean, he's a left I, – I mean, I don't really like him, no. But I'm not going <laughs> to deny that he can be good and serviceable and sometimes clutch a left wing back. But Chelsea don't want to use that formation. Lampard's only done it recently because he had to, especially because of injuries. So, no, I, I don't want Alonso. I think now's the time to sell anyway. You know, he's in his late 20s, and he's still playing okay football. So sell him back to Serie A or sell him to Spain and get a decent return for him while he still can. Emerson, like. I like Emerson, but he just hasn't done enough to make me care if he stays or goes. So he could still be back up, but just get me a real left back. So, I mean, I want Alex Tellez. That's the player I want. And, you know, I'm not saying Ben Chilwell for Leicester City is a scrub, but he would be about double the price as Tellez. He's also younger. So with Chilwell, since he's younger and double the price, you're really marrying Chilwell. Like you're tying yourself to Chilwell. And I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I like him enough to tie myself to him financially and for the future like that. So with Tellez, he's much cheaper. He's about half the price. And he's 27. So it's like, hopefully you're getting a really good left back for the next few years. He'd make your attack from the fullbacks. Like, maybe Tellez isn't great defensively. He's phenomenal going forward. Imagine having Reese James and Alex Tellez running up your flanks, like, uh, attacking-wise. That is glorious. And then you also have Akeem Ziyech swinging in balls. Like, Tammy Abraham is just going to be dizzy with the amount of quality deliveries that are coming his way and other players as well. So I want Tellez because, yeah, he's good. He's 27. But he also buys you time to go mm -hmm. find that next guy. Right. So Chelsea have, like, a youngster in Ian Motson. I don't think he's ready. I don't even think he should be a backup next season because I think he should go out on loan. But what Tellez does is he buys you time to figure out if Motson – should be the next person to kind of carry the torch. Do you find another person? So I just think Tellez is the perfect acquisition at left back for the reasons I just said. So I would say, like, he's important to me. I'd like a, another striker, absolutely, because I think Michi needs to go play football, preferably on a different planet, but certainly not for Chelsea. And I, I have – listen, the guy's just not home. I, at one yeah, point, I bought a not. Michi kit. Like, I, I bought a Michi kit. I was all into it. You know, he did well in Ligue 1. He's got some skill but he's just not home. He doesn't, yeah. you know, his professionalism's not been great and that's been kind of kept under wraps, but I, I know that. And uh, just on the pitch, he's just on his, he's on his own schedule. He's just maddening and then he smiles when he messes up and I'm just, I'm done with that. So he can leave. And Giroud, who's actually been very important lately, kind of actually just by necessity, he clearly wants to leave. I know he would stay. He said that now. And I think that's because him and Lampard have gone on great recently. They really have a lot of respect for each other and the professionalism. But, like, I still think Giroud would like to go to Serie A. That move to Inter, he would have done. He would have done a few different moves. So I think Giroud will get his wish granted. So you absolutely need another striker. And, you know, I think Tammy was running to the ground to a certain extent anyway. So I would want to bring in, like, a 1B striker who 
doesn't bench Tammy, definitely doesn't bench Tammy, but maybe can steal 10 Premier League starts and then cup starts mm-hmm. and just be somebody that if Tammy was injured, you'd be totally fine having. Or just a good backup. Like, it's okay if it's not a 1B. Finding, like, a 1B, like, the Aguero-Gabriel Jesus thing, that's very rare. And that's also a different dynamic. Like, Aguero is in his prime of an older age. Then they brought in Jesus, who could eventually have the torch passed to him. That's the more logical way to do it. Tammy's the star and he's young. So it's not like you really are going to bring in another young guy. So I hear shouts for, like, Luka Jovic. I hear shouts for Musa Dembele. I even hear shouts for Latoro Martinez, who I would never say no to. I just don't think that's the direction the club would go Mm -hmm. because those are young guys. And I think Lampard wants to see out Tammy as like the guy, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't have ambition. So like, I think more along the lines of this one's really unrealistic. And I think I've finally convinced myself it could never happen, but wolves have a good striker in Raul Jimenez. And he's like, just about to mention him. Yeah. Yeah. He's 28. The the reason why I don't think it would happen is I just don't think he would be okay. Just getting 10 Premier League starts. Right. But if I could play FIFA and tell him, sit down and shut up, I would, and you know, he would be—he would be the best guy to like, just switch off with Tammy, and then you know, Tammy still gets more time, and, and he's certainly the guy of the future. But Jimenez plays just enough where he feels like he's an integral part for a big club. I know Wolves are a good team, but like maybe he would be interested in playing for a club like Chelsea. He could still certainly play a big role, and that would be great. But like maybe you'd have to go the Cavani route, you know, somebody who's a little bit older still can certainly play but who wouldn't have this high expectancy that he's just going mm-hmm. to be the outright starter for Chelsea at this age, especially with Tammy in the mix. So maybe you go that route. Just you got to bring in players that can score, that are capable. Like the Mertens one, you know, not like overly in love with the idea, but what I do love about Mertens is the fact that he can play a couple different positions. Right. So, yeah, he may be past it. He's not like what we learned of Mertens at Napoli, just a prolific goal scorer. But – if he can be at all good, he's a good guy for the dressing room, no doubt about it. He can play a few different spots. He can certainly fill in at striker. But I just think you probably have to then bring in another backup striker along with Mertens. So I'm not here to shout out like striker names all day. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I'm not too into Jovic and Dembele, I like Jovic, but he's a huge financial take on in terms of his weekly salary and what you might have to pay unless it was a loan, I guess. Um, and there's no guarantee. He would be a smash in the Premier League, even though I like him. And Dembele, once again, no guarantee. Good season at Lyon and has played elsewhere like Celtic and uh, Fulham, I think it was. But nonetheless, like you can still be fooled by a player doing well in Ligue 1. And he's going to cost you a decent amount, transfer fee-wise. And he's just one of those players that if he doesn't work out, he's porking you financially. So I don't love those options. Um, so to answer the question, like I love Sancho, love Tellez. You definitely need help at striker. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. And then, like, center back's the weird one. Center back, it's like, I don't know what to do because I like Tamori. I want him to give, be given all the opportunities. I like Christensen based on his recent form, so I'm not going to give up on him. I like Zuma. I'm okay if you sell him because I think you can actually still get a decent amount for him in return. I'm done with Rudiger. But it's like, I don't think, even if I got rid of Rudiger, I don't think you get, like, up a Meccano from Leipzig because you get someone like that and he kind of has to start. Because right, that's exactly. like so many teams would want him. So I don't know if that fits as well with Christensen and Tamori. And like, I know you're supposed to have ambition as well, but do you then just keep Zuma and then just replace your fourth and get rid of Rudiger? I don't know. So I don't have a great answer there. Um, but I'm okay if center back is looked at because I'm not like insanely married to 
mean, I liked Maury, but like if you told me they were getting up in Mancano or, or even Koulibaly, who I know hasn't been as good. I know Koulibaly might be like maybe now trending the wrong way. I still think Koulibaly – Perfect time good. to get him then. Right. Yeah. On the, and on I, the and down, I, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think it would still be really useful for Chelsea. So like, and you, and you, and you probably still would keep Christensen and Tamori or certainly at least still one of them. Certainly Tamori's not going anywhere. So it's like, I still would like the dynamic of that. Um, so I'm open to it. I just don't have a, a big answer there. Uh, keeper at most, like you bring in, like, I, fine. If you can get old block, goodbye, Keppa. You know, <laughs> I'm not high on Keppa, but I think like you still have to keep him, and at most bring in a one B. So, like, you have uh, a better competition, maybe Onana from Ajax, like maybe Nick Pope, who I'm not too excited about. Like, but maybe you bring in a low-cost guy that can push Keppa. I just don't think, unless, once again, you're getting someone like Oblock, like a no-brainer, you can really just flat out say, move on from Keppa now. And then the last person, I'll do a segue of maybe for you guys, is if Sancho can't happen, I think you absolutely have to retain Jeremy Boga since you still have control over him. Yeah, um, I think Boga just makes so much more sense because if you really, again, it worked that they didn't really have to spend that much money this past summer, and if you're able to do that again and bring in another guy who's basically all he needed was just some playing time, and he's just exploded at Sassuolo. So um, we we wanted to get to a question that we got for you. Um, it really just pertained to what you just uh, mentioned with Keppa, uh, but the question was from Roberto Grosso, and he was just asking, what was your assessment of Keppa this season? Um, and do you think he gets another opportunity to prove himself, or do you think the most likely route is going to get another goalkeeper? Yeah, it's weird. I, I, do, I don't know, because you hear so many weird conflicting reports now, and you have to take reports now especially with coronavirus with a grain of salt. It's like you hear a latest one, like Chelsea interested in Manuel Neuer if they can move on from Keppa. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not even saying I wouldn't be interested in Neuer, even though he's not the same keeper we used to know of him. I would be interested in him. But the, since he is like 33, isn't he the exact guy you bring in to pair with Keppa for now? So like, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe if you think you can still sell Keppa for – a decent return, you do it because he still is in his mid-20s and his last two games for Chelsea were good. So it's like, I, I don't personally see Chelsea selling Cup for the summer. I don't. I do see them looking at bringing in somebody that if Keppa isn't performing, um, that you, you, you can bench Keppa with. Like, much more justified than Willie Caballero. And that's no yeah. disrespect to him. But you know, <laughs> he, he's what you call the backup keeper. He yeah. is not what you call a 1B at all or somebody there to put pressure and fire on the yeah. starter. So I, I think Kepa gets another chance, especially if the season's over, because he did end the season with two good games, gotcha. uh, one against Liverpool and whatever the last game was, I now forget, but uh, Everton maybe. Um, yeah, so two clean sheets. So, like, he came back and didn't allow goal for two games. So I think unless – for some reason, Frank thinks something that we are not aware of, and he's really down on him, which I don't think is the case. I don't think he's in love with him, but I don't think he's super down on him. I think you keep Keppa. You've made such a financial commitment to him. Let's see if he can make good on some of that. Even if you had plans to not be with him for a long time, like even if you had plans to eventually move on from him, like you had someone even earmarked as the next person, well, fine, let him have a good season next season, or at least a better season than he just had. He's still only going to be like 26, so you could still sell him. So I think it 
does make sense to hold on to him. I'm interested. I'm interested in bringing in uh, Onana or someone else that like Onana apparently wouldn't be that expensive. So I don't know if Onana moving means he has to be a starter somewhere. Maybe that's the case because he is a goalkeeper on the rise. I know Ziyech is apparently trying to recruit him to Chelsea. I know that's not all Onana's say, but there have been teams that have done two legitimate goalkeepers, like two legitimate good goalkeepers at the same time. It's been done twice with Courtois, to my recollection. It was different. It was Courtois and Czech on the way out. And then, what, it was Courtois and Kaylor Navas who mm-hmm. was doing really well. I mean, it's done. Even oh, Barcelona okay. had um, Ter Stegen and they had Sillison. So right. Sillison so was it a, is, a solid, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. So it is done. And if you could get Onana for – like, if you could get Onana for a rather cheap price and Onana kind of had some hint, that maybe he'd be the guy in the future and they would sell Kepa, like, I'd be all for it. Uh, but to answer the question of the listener, I would say I think Kepa gets another chance, but I totally would not rule out buying another potential starter-ish. All right. Well, I mean, that's uh, definitely more than enough. You've given us more than enough to work with Um Really detailed. Everything is just fantastic. Uh, Everything you do regarding Chelsea, you could tell how much you care about the club and how invested you are in it. We just want to say thank you for hopping on it and joining us. Why don't you let the people know everywhere they can find your work um, and where they can follow you. Yeah, no, I appreciate being on. Fun as always to talk to you, Matt, and really good to talk to you, Martino. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at AlexGoldberg underscore mainly Chelsea, but I really do throw in tweets about football in general. And I mean, I miss Champions League nights so badly. and I'll always like tweet about other big games that go on. So it's not only Chelsea, but a lot of Chelsea. (laughs) And then um, the Byline podcast is kind of my baby. That's not my baby. That makes any sense. I actually have a real one. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I put the most work and effort into. And once again, it's like Chelsea centric, but, there are absolutely episodes for non-Chelsea fans and it is on Patreon. So it is $2 a month, but I always try and make it justified for a non-Chelsea fan to feel good about the $2. So meaning like I always make sure that you would feel good enough, hopefully about the non-Chelsea episodes that were in that month Mm -hmm. to even think, okay, just that episode or just those two episodes were worth that $2. Um, So you know, I've had on referees like Howard Webb and Mark Clattenburg, announcers like Martin Tyler, Peter Drury. I mean, I just had a Norwich City right back on. I mean, that's not really Chelsea-centric at all. So I always try and branch out and just have, like, interesting people on from the football world. So absolutely, I'll have on a lot of Chelsea stuff, a lot of like Chelsea roundtables, Chelsea Twitter accounts. But I always try and have uh, a little bit for everyone. And, like, maybe the comments that mean the most to me are when fans of other teams say they just enjoyed my latest episode so yeah that's the thing i would i would plug youtube but there's nothing to plug because youtube has just become more of a match review platform for me especially with life kind of busy as a new father so there are no match reviews so i'll, I'll keep it to my twitter account and the, the podcast the byline awesome matt let the people know where they could find you on twitter at matt underscore santangelo uh, you guys can follow everything I'm doing with the State of Play pod, any guest appearances I'm be making, and some uh, upcoming articles that which I hope to get out there very soon. But 
uh, just been procrastinating. Of course, there hasn't been much to talk about. Um, Martino, you want to send us off? Yeah, um, you can just follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Um, I tweet about all sports, so it's kind of confusing and frustrating for some of like uh, the soccer football fans that like to follow me. Um, but I promise you, once football soccer is on, there's plenty uh, that I tweet about. Um, probably tweet too much. But Alex, I want to thank you one more time. Um, Thanks a lot, follow Alex. We him. appreciate it. Uh, follow Matt. Shout out to the Big Heads Media Network that uh, allows us to share our podcast on the platform. Please listen to all the episodes. Even listen and go back to listen to the last time Alex was on with us. And hopefully football can return soon and everything can return to normal. But for now, take care and stay safe.